At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. This winter, we're taking a fresh look at a familiar story through our series, Jonah, At Odds with God. Tune in now as we face the same choice Jonah did, to receive God's mission or to resent it. What a great song. Uh, how many thank God for His abundant mercy in your life? How many praise Him for His grace? that amazing grace in your life. That's okay if we were at a golf tournament, but how many thank God this morning for his grace and mercy in your life? How many praise him for that, amen? It's all right to give him praise for his goodness and his grace. Well, uh, I am really grateful today to stand before you. Before we get to the word of God, I just wanna make a very special birthday announcement. If you happen to see Pastor John Jelenic, make sure you shake his hand today and wish him a very happy birthday. He is one of the most uh, important leaders here at our church, one of our executive pastors, but he's also been one of the most important people in my life. I remember meeting John about 21 years ago now as I walked into uh, the first seminary class of my seminary education. And there he was at the front of the room, uh, then a chalkboard in front. Can you remember that, chalkboards? He actually had a chalkboard then at that time, and he writes on a chalkboard before, uh, in front of all of our students, you don't have to agree with me, but I don't have to make it easy for you to disagree with me. And that's the way we started the class, and he uh, taught us how to uh, think biblically and how to uh, make sure we were making all of our arguments about what we believe from Scripture. Who would have thought that over the years, uh, John and I would form a friendship that would span 21 years now. I got a chance to later on work for him when I was dean at Moody Theological Seminary. John was my boss during that time, and uh, he was gracious enough when I came here to come and support me as our executive pastor. So deep appreciation for John Zelenik. Please make sure you mention to him as you see him, happy, happy birthday. Well, how many love the Word of God? Amen? How many praise God for His Word? Today, we're going to continue on in the book of Jonah. As a matter of fact, we get a chance to complete the book of Jonah. And as I think about chapter 4, as we get ready to go into Jonah chapter 4, I am reminded that we are so conditioned to stories having a happy ending, that we expect for every story to end with a happily ever after. In particular, since the 1930s, this has been the cultural conditioning of Americans. Now, what happened in the 1930s that brought about this reality? Well, it was the rise of a creative force known as Mr. Walt Disney. Walt Disney uh, put on screen these beautiful productions, but one of the things that Disney did was change the ending of a many of kids' stories that actually ended kind of negatively or on a down or sour note, he made sure that every story ended on a high note because he wanted every kid to go home happy. One of the freelance journalists that I read, Stacy Conrad, calls this the Disney effect. The Disney effect, 
that has conditioned all of us to think that stories should have a happy ending. So as we have progressed through the story of Jonah, as we have seen this man go from a prophet on the run, going away from God's will on a boat to Tarshish, to being a prophet who repents and prays and calls out to God and surrenders his life, to a man who preaches God's word and actually sees a national repentance, a whole nation repent, we anticipate that this story too will end happily. But I don't want to burst your bubble, but the truth of the matter is, it's important for me to tell you, this story is not going to have a happy ending. As a matter of fact, Jonah does not end on an up note. Jonah ends with unforgiveness, with anger, with bitterness, and with hatred. But it also leaves us with a very important question. And the question that Jonah leaves us with is, how will we, how will you and I respond to God's compassion and kindness when it is shown to someone that we don't think deserves it? You know, all of us think that we and God are aligned in our judgments. We think that God hates those that we hate, that God sees those in favor that we see favorably, that somehow our judgments and God's judgments are aligned. But what Scripture tells us in such a profound way is that his ways are not our ways, that his thoughts are higher than our thoughts, that as far as the east is from the west, so far as he separated us from our sin, that God is merciful even beyond our own ability to understand. As a matter of fact, what we're going to see today is that the Lord's compassion exceeds our logic, that his compassion goes beyond our logic, and it leaves us standing in awe of him. And maybe no book of the Bible more profoundly shows the difference between you and I and God than Jonah. As we go into the book of Jonah, I just want to start with uh, verse number 10 of chapter 3, because that's where we left off last week. If you'll remember, Jonah had come out of this great fish moment, this fish moment, not where he got a chance to take photos and talk, talk about what fish he caught, but he got a chance to tell a story about what fish caught him. Imagine that. But he lived and he survived the moment. And so Jonah says, like many of us, God, if you get me out of this one, I'll obey you. If you get me out of this one, I promise you, I will follow you. And he did. He went through Nineveh for three days, preaching to Nineveh, repent or be destroyed. Repent or be destroyed. And what we read last week is that Nineveh took heed to Jonah's preaching. They took it seriously. Jonah gets what every every preacher hopes they get, what I'm certainly hoping that I get. Jonah gets to see a nation repent. He sees people responding to the gospel. You know, those of us who preach the word of God don't do it simply for mere academic purposes. We don't do it just to check a box. Those of us who are sincerely in awe of the grace and mercy of God, we do it so that others might come into fellowship with him. And we see how God responds to Nineveh's repentance in verse number 10 of chapter 3. Can you look at that with me? When you're there, say a big amen. 
And it says in verse number 10, when God saw what they did, referring to the Ninevites, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster, he said, that he would do to them, and he did not do it. In other words, God showed them mercy, God showed them grace, God showed them forgiveness, and this is in consistency with Jeremiah 8, verses 7 and 8. You can read that later on your own, but make note of that, Jeremiah 18, rather, verses 7 and 8, where God says, if a nation who I've prophesied or who I've spoken judgment against, if they repent, that he would not send upon them the judgment that he promised. And then conversely, if a nation that he promised he would bless, if they were to do evil in his sight, he would remove blessing. So here Nineveh repents and God forgives. Now how would you expect Jonah to respond to that? What would you expect Jonah's response to be? Well, let's look at verses one through four of chapter four. And what we're gonna see is far more than, far different rather than joy and jubilation is anger and resentment. It says, but it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was very angry. And he prayed to the Lord and said, oh Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I was I made haste to flee to Tarshish, for I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said, do you do well to be angry? It's almost mind-boggling to think about Jonah's response. Jonah saw repentance from his preaching, but instead of rejoicing, Jonah is not just angry, he is angry enough to die. He literally prays to God, God, take my life from me. I would rather be dead than to live. And it's tempting for me, maybe even for you, to look at Jonah with condemnation and to wag my head and to say, Jonah, you are so wrong until I realize that there's a little bit of Jonah inside of me. As a matter of fact, as one theologian that I read this week said, there's a Jonah inside of every Christian heart. Every single one of us has that group of people that we believe should not be forgiven, that we believe are beyond redemption. We, every one of us has that group of people that God, if he showed his kindness to them, would leave us scratching our heads. I won't ask you to uh, share who your person is or who your group is, but I certainly believe if we pass the mic, we could all think of uh, someone. Maybe it's your ex. Or maybe it's somebody who has mistreated you or betrayed you in an epic way, or, or maybe it's a political party, or maybe it's someone that you've seen on the international stage in popular news that you say they are beyond forgiveness. What Jonah teaches us here is that far from being aligned with God's heart, we are often so far from God's heart. Look at what he says. We, we finally get the answer to the question that's raised in chapter one. In chapter one, we see Jonah running from God's calling to Tarshish, and we don't exactly know why. 
until we get to this point in the narrative. Is he running because he's afraid of God? Is he running because he is fearful of his own inadequacy? Is he running because he thinks that his preaching somehow won't be effective? No, that's not the reason why he's running at all. What we see here is that he's running because of his theology. And what does his theology teach him? That God is gracious and merciful, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. Why, where do you think he picked that up from? Where do you think Jonah learned that from? Well, I'm just going to give you two passages, but it's truthfully taught throughout the entire expanse of the Old Testament and the New. Keep your finger in Jonah for a moment and turn with me quickly to Exodus chapter 34. Exodus chapter 34, verse number 6 to be precise. And in Exodus chapter 34, verse number six, we hear these words, almost verbatim what Jonah just said. Moses is declaring it this time. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. Did Jonah know the law? Of course he knew the law. He knew the writings of Moses. He knew the character of God. Now turn with me quickly to Psalms. Psalms 103, to be specific. Psalm 103, verse number eight. Psalm 103, verse number eight. And again, now this is not Jonah. This isn't Moses. This is David. David the king, David the psalmist, he says these words in verse number eight of 103, Psalm 103, he says, the Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. As a young man, a, a Jewish young man, uh, Jonah would have read the Torah and certainly would have been in, in uh, gatherings with the people of God as they sang these songs. The hymn book of Israel, if you will, is what we have in the book of the Psalms. And he would have sang that over and over again. So no wonder he says here in verse number two, for I knew that you were a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. But let me ask you the question, knowing what you know now about the book of Jonah, did he even need the words of Moses to know this was true about God? Did he even need the Psalms to know that this was true about God? I would argue no. All he needed was his own testimony. He knew that God was gracious and merciful and slow to anger because he was rebellious. He had run from God. He was worthy of God's judgment and God had shown him mercy. And do you and I need some type of Bible class to know that God is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love? No, I think all we need is our own testimony. All that Moses does, all that David does, all that Jonah does is affirm for us what we've experienced firsthand. How many have seen that God is gracious? How many have seen firsthand that God is merciful? How many have seen in your times of rebellion that he is slow to anger, not just the God of the second chance, but the third and the fourth and the fifth and the sixth, and you keep on counting. How many have seen that he is a God of steadfast love, and how many thank him for his character, his nature, and his mercy? But isn't it true of us, not just Jonah, but isn't it true of us 
that this same mercy and grace that we so desire in our own life, that we so praise God for in our own life, we often despise when we see him show kindness to people that we don't think deserve kindness. Have you ever woke up the day after an election and wonder, God, how'd you let that happen? You ever been there before? You ever woke up and said, God, you saw the same candidates that I saw. You saw the same people running, and you know this person is terrible. How in the world did you allow them to get elected? To which I think God says, the same way that I allow you to be saved. The same way that I allow you to be forgiven. Recently, I learned a lot about forgiveness from someone I got a chance to interview on my radio program. His name is Reverend Anthony Thompson. Some of you uh, may know his name, others of you may not, but he uh, was one of the leaders of Mother Emanuel Church in Charleston, South Carolina. You'll remember that that's where the tragic events of the hate crime, the killing by Dylan Roof took place. Dylan Roof, a man who was blinded by racism, goes into this historically black church and he shoots it up during the prayer time, killing nine people. One of those people that he killed was Mira Thompson. Mira Thompson was the wife of Reverend Anthony Thompson. And at the uh, victim's impact testimony time of Dylan Roof's um, uh, trial, uh, Reverend Thompson was called upon, like the other uh, fam victims' uh, families, were called upon to share his testimony or his words with Dylan Roof. And as he approached uh, the microphone to share his testimony, he didn't know what he would say. At least that's what he shared with me in the interview. He didn't know what he would say. But as he was walking, literally walking to the microphone, he senses the Lord say to him, forgive him. Extend forgiveness to him. And there he is with cameras on him before a watching world saying to Mr. Dylan Roof, I forgive you. After one of the most heinous acts you could ever think taking place, being robbed of his own wife, he looks at this young man and he says, I forgive you. And how do you think the world responded to that? Well, there were many in Charleston, South Carolina, and the world over that were blessed by it, that were overwhelmed by that act of extreme mercy and forgiveness. But he also tells me that there were many who were angry at him. He got hate mail after that. He even got death threats from people whose wives weren't taken in that moment, who were just that angry at him that he showed that level of forgiveness to someone that they didn't think deserved God's kindness. But the question that Mr. Thompson's actions leave you and I to ask is this, is Dylan Roof worthy of the cross? Is he worthy of God's mercy and forgiveness? The question of Jonah, is Nineveh worthy of God's mercy and forgiveness? Is it only Israel that Christ came to die for? Is it only Israel that is worthy of God's grace? Or does Nineveh have the right to receive God's mercy as well? 
Another interview that I did not too long ago was with a prominent attorney. Her name is Rachel Din Hollander. Rachel Din Hollander. Again, you may not know her name uh, right off, but you probably will know the person who victimized her and over 230 young women. His name was Larry Nasser. Larry Nasser was a physician who worked for Michigan State University, my alma mater, and it's a shameful thing that so many people turned a blind eye to his abuse as a doctor, sexual abuse of so many young women. He also worked for the Olympic uh, Committee. But again, in the victim impact testimony time, Rachel Den Hollander, an attorney herself, stood before a watching world, and she says, you or I are neither worthy of forgiveness, but Christ extends that forgiveness to me, and I extend it to you, and I hope one day you will accept his act on the cross and receive his forgiveness for your sins. And her words are so striking and so stunning, but she too received an overwhelming backlash from many who said, how could you forgive such a heinous man who committed such terrible acts? But the question that her words leave us with is this, is Larry Nassau worthy of forgiveness? Is he worthy of the cross? See, all of us have people that we would look at and say, no, no, they are not worthy of forgiveness. No, they are not worthy of the cross. And this is because within our hearts, whether we admit it or not, we have two types of sinners. We have sinners and we have sinners, right? We have people who we know have sinned, and all of you, if I ask you, have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. If you are a Christian who have read your Bible at all, you will raise your hand and affirm it. How many agree with that statement, that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God? How many believe that, that all are in need of forgiveness and salvation and repentance? Every one of us would agree with that. But in our hearts, we rank sin. In our hearts, we say, well, yeah, we all need to be forgiven, but then there's Hitler or Stalin. And then there's uh, this political party or that political party or this person or that person. We have sinners and we have sinners. But the Bible says that there's only one group of sinners. And that's you and me and all of humanity. We are all in need of redemption. And when I begin to rank sinners, I begin to play a fool's game. And I begin to forget about my own depravity. But by the grace of God, there go I. And the only way that I can rejoice over Nineveh's salvation is when I remember that I too am Nineveh, that I too have caused harm and hurt, I too have wounded people, that I too have said words that have caused scars, that I have messed up, that I have caused much damage to be done. How can I be offended when someone else's sins are forgiven, when mine are so deep and depraved themselves? We see Jonah's humanity, we relate to his humanity, but it convicts us all because all of us have our own bias against someone coming to faith in Christ. The question that we have to deal with is, are you angry with God's compassion? Is there a place in your heart right now where you are angry that God has chosen to be merciful and gracious to someone that you feel 
does not deserve it. Today, I would invite you to recognize that you too are in need of repentance. You remember the story of the prodigal son, don't you? Luke chapter 15, you remember two brothers. One went out to a far country. He lived a vile life. He squandered his father's inheritance, so disrespectful to his dad, so dishonoring to him. He says, give me my inheritance now. I don't even want to wait for you to die. Just give me the money now. And he takes his money and he squanders it on wild living. And then once he finds himself at the end of himself, the bottom's fallen out, he's in a pig trough of life, he comes back to his father and says, please forgive me. And the father does, and he doesn't just forgive him, he lavishes his love on him. He says, kill the fatty calf, give me a robe, put a ring on his finger. My son who was lost is now found, he was dead, but he now is alive. He rejoiced. But that older brother didn't rejoice, did he? That older brother looked at his uh, other brother and said, how in the world could he receive such forgiveness? See, what he didn't realize is that there are two types of sins, sins of action and sins of attitude. Both are equally as deadly. You could even argue that sins of attitude are even more deadly because they are so undetectable. They're a silent killer in our lives. His pride was killing him. His arrogance was causing him to build up resentment, not only against his younger brother, but that resentment one day infected him so deeply that he turned on his very father. Be careful when resentment builds up in your heart because once that flame is lit, it turns into an inferno that you can't control and it won't stop until it's consumed even your relationship with God. And you find yourself saying, I am mad. Mad at who? Mad at people, yes, but even more, I am mad at God, and I wish I, wish I was dead. I'd rather be dead. I'd rather, I'd rather not be alive than to be seeing this moment. It was as if he was saying that if they're going to be in heaven, I'd rather not be in heaven. Folks, when we get to heaven, there's going to be some folks there I might as well prep you for this. You're going to get there. There's going to be some folks there that you wouldn't have admitted. There's going to be some folks that you might pull an angel to the side and say, how'd they get in? How'd they sneak by security? And they're going to respond to you and say, by the same precious blood that forgave you, applied to them, that God's arms are not so short that he cannot save. How many praise God he saves to the uttermost? He saves you, he saves me, and yes, he saves Nineveh. Well, there's so much more I could say, but let's move on. And then in verse number five, we, we have what we would call a flashback. This takes us back during the 40 days of uh, their repentance. And we see this in Jonah's life. Verse number five, Jonah went out of the city and sat to the east of the city and made a booth for himself. There he sat under it in the shade till he should see what would become of the city. Now the Lord God appointed a plant and made it come up over Jonah that it might be a shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. 
But when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind, and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. And he asked that he might die and said, it is better for me to die than to live. A second time with that request now. Verse number nine, but God said to Jonah, do you do well to be angry for the plant? And he said, yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. And the Lord said, you pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. And should not I pity Nineveh, that great city, in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left, and also much cattle. God is giving him a powerful object lesson, isn't he? Over and over again, we read that these things didn't happen by happenstance, but God appointed. This same word appointed was the word we, use, we saw used in this narrative about the big fish, the great fish that swallowed Jonah. It shows God's sovereignty, God superintending the very affairs of Jonah's life. That over every square inch of created order, Christ declares mine. He is the superintendent of all the universe, but he is also the superintendent of the affairs of our lives. He appoints our circumstances. He appoints our good days and our defeats. God is in control in a sovereign way. That's why it is wise for us to praise him at all times. Not just when we're on the mountaintop of victory, but as David said, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil because thou art with me. Even in the valley, we praise him for his omniscience, omnipresence, and omnipotence. But what is the object lesson? It is to put him in the, in the seat of Nineveh. He does it in so many ways, but one of the ways that he does it is he takes a moment of discomfort. And if you've ever been in the Middle East, you know how hot it can get. Even last October, visiting there in Israel, there's like a 20-degree difference between the shaded area and the unshaded area. And so when that plant comes over his head and he receives the comfort of its shade, God relieves him of his discomfort. Now, the same root word for discomfort that's used for Jonah is the same word of destruction that is used for Nineveh. The same way God relieved Jonah of his discomfort, he relieves Nineveh of their destruction. But then to teach him the object lesson, he appoints a worm, a worm to eat up the plant. Overnight, his, his comfort turns to discomfort. He, he knows what it's like to go from being covered by grace to not having grace. And what is his response? His response is, I'm angry enough to, to die. And God's response is, are you justified in being angry about this plant? He says, yes, I needed that plant. That plant was important to me. How many of us have things that are important to us in our lives that if we lost it, we'd be upset, we'd be hurt? Maybe it's a car that we love or home, or our investments, as we see an economy that is so volatile you need Tums. <laughs> or maybe, maybe it's something else, whatever your prized possession is, and God says, if you value that, 
You see, in Israel, there were levels of life. There was plant life, which is at the lowest level. There was animal life. And then at the apex of it all, there were human beings. And God is saying, if you care for a plant, such a lowly thing that much, shouldn't I care for 120,000 souls? You know what this obliterates? This obliterates that straw man argument that some like to use that the God of the Old Testament is different than the God of the New Testament. The God of the Old Testament is a God of war and anger. The God of the New Testament is gracious and merciful. Well, you can only come to that conclusion if you don't read your Bible well. Because if you read your Bible well, you recognize that from Moses to David to Jonah, they all knew something about God, that he was... He was merciful beyond logic. He was compassionate beyond compare. And he was willing to forgive. And we see why he forgave them, because they didn't know their right hand from their left. We think that everybody has the same moral upbringing and understanding that we have. But the fact is, not everyone does. I remember doing a radio program on human sexuality, and I was talking about the biblical ethics of sexuality, and I had an adult woman give me a call. She's in her 30s, and she says, I was raised in a home that was nominally religious. We had a Bible around, and here I'm listening to you today. I was turning the dial, and you're talking about sexuality in a way that I've never heard it talked about before. Can you explain to me a little bit more why you believe this way? And I was blown away to hear this adult woman raised in our nation who was totally oblivious to the teachings of the Bible on human sexuality. But I was reminded in that moment, don't ever assume don't ever assume that everyone's had a preacher. Don't ever assume that everyone's had a mom or a dad with a Bible in their house. Don't ever assume that everyone has had the same opportunity that you have had to understanding and hearing the gospel. Praise God for it, but have mercy on those who have not. And may God have mercy upon us all. Today, my prayer is that we recognize that in every Christian heart, there's a Jonah that resents someone's forgiveness, and may we repent of that. But I would also pray that every one of us sees that we too are Nineveh. And here's what I want you to know, that if you're Nineveh and you are far from God, that he is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love, and today can be your day of forgiveness because of what he did 2,000 plus years ago on the cross of Calvary. How many thank God that he died so that we might live and he has rose again with our power in his hand. And if we repent and believe, we too can be forgiven. Our worship team is gonna come and sing a beautiful song to us. It's called Nineveh. But as they come and sing this morning, I want you to search your heart and simply listen to the words and ask yourself, Lord, where do I need to forgive and where do I need to repent? Let's pray. Father, I ask that today you would speak to our hearts, even through the message and through the song. Thank you for joining us as we study God's word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org slash connect to introduce yourself today.